So, we are in the series on biblical masculinity and biblical femininity. And uh, I hope you guys have enjoyed the past two weeks. And, uh, and I hope the Lord speaks to you today. Um, and then we're going to start in the book of Colossians next Sunday. Uh, kind of a series opener. We're going to kind of break Colossians into two overall series. Um, but it's going to take us uh, probably three to four months or so to get through uh, the book of Colossians. So uh, be ready for that. Um, hopefully we can get it done in less than 20 weeks like we did uh, um, the series on Covenant Community. Uh, so anyways, today we're going to talk about biblical femininity. And first of all, I want to say men, um, your call as, as just as men, period, in Scripture, but particularly uh, for your marriage, but even if you're not married or never called to be married, your responsibility is to be a student of the ladies who are around us. It's your responsibility to learn them, to study them, so that we can lead them, so that we can be the men for them that they need us to be, whether it's for our marriage or it's just in, I shouldn't say the word just because that sounds kind of making it light, uh, but whether it's in marriage or it's in the church or it's in the workplace, in a secular culture or a religious culture, doesn't matter. Men, our call is to be a student of ladies and the ones around us. And so that's the men don't check out on me today. Um, and, uh, you know, I have to say, this is probably one of the most, like, enjoyable sermons I've prepared for. Um, you know, I want to say this from the very beginning. You know, it's funny because on Father's Day, and I'm kind of disappointed in, in, the, in the church, popular church culture today, because like on, on Father's Day, it's let's beat up on the men, right? It's like, men, we need to be more masculine, and we need to do this, and you're a failure unless you're doing this. And then we get the Mother's Day, and it's like, ah, you know, holy moms, Right? You know, dare we, like, say anything bad to the ladies on Mother's Day. Uh, And uh, so uh, this is the Mother's Day message just uh, a month and whatever, a month and a half ahead of time. Um, So when we're in the middle of Colossians and there's not a sermon particularly for Mother's Day, uh, please don't be offended. We just preached it a month and a half early. So uh, biblical femininity. So today is not, you know... Mom is holy day, okay? Or ladies are, you know, although they are, you know, glorious in the way God's made them and all those things. Um, men, I'm going to pick on them about as much as uh, we did last week. Because I think scripture uh, is something that we all, both genders, need to be uh, challenged with on a regular basis. And so uh, this is not going to be your moms, you're doing a good job, keep doing it. It's going to be a little different than that. Um, But I hope it is also encouraging for us as well. Uh, First of all, I want to start off with um, ladies. I think sometimes we have this hesitancy. We, all right, if I say that any more in the sermon today, just bear with me because I'm probably going to say that a lot. We ladies, okay? I mean you ladies, all right. You ladies, I just I have a hard, I, I don't like preaching like to you. I like, I like saying it's us because we're struggling, but this is very much your thing, ladies, not mine, okay? Uh, 
All right, we are in a, a series on biblical masculinity and femininity. All right, so I probably should get that straight. Okay, here we go. Ladies, part of, I think, your struggle to, uh, and this is just an observation, and from other ladies, I've heard this and some books that I read. Uh, part of your struggle to embrace. <laughs> yeah, did you like that? All right. I don't know this from personal experience, all right? I have to rely on other sources. Part of your struggle uh, to, uh, to th- I think, to embrace biblical femininity is, like, this idea that I may miss out on something. Like, I may miss out on what this life has to offer. Like, when we talk about biblical femininity and what that looks like today and what the church, if it's teaching it rightly, uh, well, if they're teaching it rightly, then we, we should realize we're not missing on anything. But the point is, is that we, we kind of, feel like maybe we may miss out on some fun. Uh, we may miss out on the, maybe the best in life if, if I submit to biblical femininity or on being self-fulfilled. I mean, you can imagine ladies maybe in a marriage relationship where I, mean, I can imagine where you might uh, could think that, particularly if it's an unhealthy biblical marriage. I, uh, being self-fulfilled maybe. Uh, a fear of not gaining recognition among family, friends. But at the same time, like, I know, man, ladies, if you look around, we have to, you have to see that there's something, though, wrong with our culture's view of femininity. I mean, there's something wrong with it. And, and, I, and I hope you see that. And so on one hand, like, you don't, you, there's this fear of, you know, I don't want to miss out on something. But then on the other hand, you know something's wrong. And so there's the tension that I think that you deal with, and I think there's a tension with masculine, it's a different tension, but I think that's part of the, well, I think the tension's very similar to men as well, because men, well, if I, you know, am, am focusing on anything, I may not get to have all the fun that I, that I want to have and do what the world has called me to do, or it's called me to do, what the world is calling me to do, versus doing what God's called me to. I mean, Miss Adelson, the same thing for you ladies, and, um, but just, I want you to understand, though, from the very beginning, that fear um, is not a good motivation. Um, fear is not something that uh, should be driving our cart. It's not what should be sending us down. The, like, like fear, I think, drives, drives lots of ladies, drives lots of men, drives lots of churches, drives lots of pastors. But um, fear has been a part of the shattering of gender understanding from the very beginning. I mean, you see, look at Eve in the garden. And what is she, what's going on? So you have the Satan, here's the fruit. If you take of this, if you eat of this fruit, you're not going to miss out on all these other things. Maybe God's holding something back from you. I think there's a fear, a motivation of fear that we see in Eve from the very beginning. A fear, and then also, you again, in the sense you see that fear in the sense of um, Satan coming to Eve first and Eve assuming the role of leadership in the relationship and, and fear of missing out on something that maybe God is holding back from them. Um, you know, fear that God didn't have her best interest in mind. And I just want to say, ladies, from the very beginning, that fear, that faith... It's the only thing that will free you from these fears 
and allow you to be, you know, hear, hear this phrase, you're going to hear it more today, powerful women of influence. And I believe from the very beginning, this is what God has called you to be. It's what he's prepared you to be. It's what he's designed you to be. It's powerful women of influence. And uh, that looks a lot different than the way our culture has described the church's understanding of Christianity. Our culture looks at the church's understanding of Christianity, and they say, women, your, your life is very formulaic. What is a woman? Well, she does dishes. That's what the church preaches, um, where she takes care of the kids. And, and I don't believe that's what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches, I believe, that you are called to be and designed to be women of powerful influence. And faith in God, who has revealed himself to us, and it's climaxed in the person of Christ. That's where our faith has to belong. Um, ladies, where your faith has to belong is in Christ, in God. That he designed you the way he has for a specific reason. And he knows what's best. Um, you know, only God, I don't want to beat this horse much longer, but only God can move us away from fear and towards biblical womanhood. Um, I mean, femininity was created by God. Have you ever just thought about that fact for just a moment? Femininity, being a woman, was created by God. Genesis one twenty seven says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, there's a distinction Male and female, he created them. Men and women are equal before God. We talked about this in the past couple weeks, but uniquely different. And God created you that way. Womanhood was God's idea. And this is key for us because we tend to look to culture, even to church culture, to define what womanhood should look like. And the fact is that God designed it. God defines for us what womanhood should look like. Uh, and this is, important, this is important because, ladies, this means you don't need to look to the culture to define your identity. Like, you don't, you don't need to look to, to the people at your workplace to say, well, okay, so that's what a woman looks like. Well, we can see in Scripture how God has designed you to be. And so, just like last week, we looked at four aspects for biblical masculinity. And this week, we're going to look at three aspects of biblical femininity. Uh, and no, you're not getting shortchanged. We're just going to spend a little more time on each of the, uh, the individual three. So, the first one I want us to see is that women were created to be influential helpers. Women created to be influential helpers. So for this, we'll go back to the beginning. And, you know, it's in the middle of creation, beautiful creation, that, I mean, everything is grand, everything is wonderful, that God says that something's not good. It's not good. And in 2.18 uh, Genesis says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So from the very beginning, we see in this beautiful creation, God says, It's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to create 
woman. And so we see, one thing we see from the very beginning is that man needs help. <laughs> right? Man needs help. I know it's a very simple thing, but this sets the stage as we move forward. God recognized or created it in this way. It wasn't like God created man and then goes, oh, well, I think I did something not, not right. You know, no, I mean, God created man to need woman, right? I mean, this is, this is his creation. He created it this way. He wasn't caught off guard. But man needs help. And so what God does, he creates the, this suitor, suitable helper. And the key word we see in this phrase is, is help or this helper. Um, you see that God makes Adam aware of this need. Um, and I know this seems so super practical, but um, like men, sometimes we don't realize how much help we need. We need help. Um, we were not created to do this by ourselves. God created us to need help. And then he created woman to fulfill that need. And ladies, that's where you come in. It's not, okay, well, the man is, you know, it's everything. And then it's just, well, how can I help him? But in a way, that's, that's, that's the picture. And the picture is God's called man to lead and, and woman to be a help to him in the task that God's called him to do. But men, uh, we sometimes don't realize that we need something, um, that, uh, that we need help. And so I don't want to beat up on the men because you guys got it last week. But, but men, if we understand and we get over our pride and we welcome in and celebrate the help that God has given us. For those of us who are married, and for those of you who will be married maybe in the future, um, like if you just understand the help that God's provided you with, and even, let me say this, even not in necessarily in a marriage relationship, because this can transcend marriage, I believe, as well. But if we understand that women, what God has created them to do, um, I, I, we won't miss out on so much. I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, let me say helper, ladies, does not imply inferiority. Like in our culture today, when we think of a woman as a helper, like we think of it's, it's the man show and then the woman gets to help. Like, and it seems derogatory. Uh, scripture does not teach that helper is derogatory. If it is, then Scripture is derogatory towards God and calling him a helper. So let's, let's read a couple of scriptures. Exodus 18.4. Helper is used to describe God. And it says, In the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, The God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Psalms 54.4 says, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. And so helper is not a negative term. But Scripture creates a woman a helper, a helper suitable for Adam. This is not negative because it's used to describe God. And ladies, if it's used to describe God, that like that's awesome. I don't know a more suitable word to just describe it, but but ladies, when you think of that, Scripture's called you to be a helper. I want you to think of that in in a beautiful sense. Um, I mean, David's saying, God is my helper. Um, and God is our helper today. So, 
Um, again, men bear the primary responsibility to lead in the relationship, but women bear the primary responsibility to help in that relationship. And we see that rooted in Genesis chapter 2. And we also, in Genesis chapter 2, that's where you see that the, that the woman's created from the man and created to complete and to help the man. Uh, it's interesting, if you study in Genesis 2, you see kind of a parallel there. You see man is taken from the ground to work the ground, and the woman is taken from the man and is called to help the man. Um, this is their task. It's God-given their, their task to do. Uh, again, though, like I said last week, this, this doesn't mean that women do not lead. It just means that your leadership looks different and that you bear the primary responsibility in uh, in life, whether you're married or not, to be a helper. And men bear the primary responsibility to lead. And again, that doesn't mean calling all the shots. Um, so, um, we use the term influential helpers. Um, as you ladies have been designed by God to provide strategic, valuable help and aid to those who are around you. This is what God has created in a way that men cannot do. We're not created to do that. Like, it's, it's, it's always refreshing to me. Like, well, it's refreshing, obviously, with my wife. But outside of that relationship, because I, I don't want us to just think just marriage here. But um, outside of that, like, it's, it's so refreshing. Uh, and some of you men, uh, I think, can probably relate to this. You, you, you come in contact with a lady. And you spend some time with her, and you just get this sense of, like, there's just this, I don't even know how to describe it, other than it's, it's a sense of they, they're, just, they're a help, like they're an encourager, they, they're a source of um, holding things together, if you will, um, they, they don't have to scream their opinion, but they, they get to influence those around them just by their heart of serving, of helping. Like, you know what I'm talking Like, men, yes, you know what I'm talking about? You've met a woman like that. I have. My wife's like that. Like, it just, there's just a sense when she's around, like, my life's together. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've been gone the past couple of days. I'm going, where's my wife at, you know? Uh, just ask the guys, we were on our way home last night from fishing, and, uh, and I'm like, let's get home, let's get home, let's get home, you know. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's this sense of, and, and, I, and maybe if you haven't seen this, because maybe some ladies, are, maybe I'm either not describing it correctly, or you haven't seen it done well, um, but women just have a sense of um, being a helper in a way that men are not created to be um, and don't have the ability to be. But ladies, you're designed by God to provide strategic, valuable help and aid to those who are around you. So men are designed to initiate, to pioneer. Women are designed to be responsive, supportive helpers in what God has called you to do. So you ask the question, how does this work? How, how does this work? Um, again, I don't want to, just to focus too much on marriage but I think this practically, we see a good example of this in marriage. Um, and basically some basic questions, I think, ladies, for you to ask. And how does this work? Um, 
and, and again, if you're, if you're single, I mean, encourage you still to keep these things in mind. If you're male or female, these are good questions to ask. Um, is what I'm doing helping or hindering my husband? And what is what I'm doing helping or hindering my husband? Am I being, next question, am I being an influential helper in the way I conduct myself? Does what I do help my husband? Um, Carolyn Mahaney is, uh, is a great author, and she wrote a book called Feminine Appeal. And she said these questions in her book. She says, do, and these are good questions for you to ask, ladies. Do I care for my home in a way that helps my husband or serves me? Second question. Do I manage my time in a manner that assists my husband or serves my own agenda? Next question. Does the way I serve others support my husband or promote me? Next question. Do I ask for my husband's input before committing myself to a plan? And then the last question she said is, am I oriented to him and the work to which God has called him? And we see this in Adam. God has called Adam to a task, and he creates Eve to help in that task. That doesn't mean, ladies, that God doesn't call you to things, but it's going to fit with what God's called your husband to do. And those are things that you work through, and that, there's not a checkbox kind of list for this, right? This is hard work to pray through this. And what does this look like for us? Um, but primarily, God has called your husband to a task, and, and what is it, how do you fit into that task as his helper? And are you oriented around that or around yourself? Um, I can give you an example, like Sarah um, so I don't want to talk a lot about her today. Actually, I'm not, not too much, just a little bit. Um, you know, she, she works outside the home and uh, four days a week. And you say, well, how does that fit into this plan? Like, she's making money and such. Well, that fits into what God has called us. So God's called us to, to plant Renovation Church. And part of that is financial. There's a financial need uh, for our family that... God has not provided through Renovation Church and other church sources for me. And that's okay, because God has provided it. He just provided it through my helper. Does that make sense? And in a big way, like a huge way. And so, yes, God didn't provide it here, but he provided it through the helper that God has given to me to accomplish. So her working, you know, is part of our planting renovation church but see how that begins to change your perspective like for her i think it was a big thing when when she realized i remember sitting in a hotel one night uh, when i was interviewing for some financial support to help start renovation church and she basically says wow it's like my income is like it's gonna help start this church yeah in a very real 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 way so instead of me having to have an, a full-time job plus the church, even though some pastors are called to do that, and that is a viable way of planting a church but, um, and, and starting pastoring a church, 
But God has not called us to do it that way. And so God's provided it this way, which has allowed then me to spend time with the church that I didn't need to spend in a job. Um, and that's a practical way, I think, that you see this. But, um, you know, being an influential helper, ladies, uh, I think can begin with some of those basic questions. Um, and questions that I think will require probably some repentance. Um, questions that will always require asking God for guidance, illumination, strength. How do I take this next step? How do I do this? And then you say, the next question that always gets asked is, well, how does this apply generally? Like, how does this apply to me, ladies, at work? How does it apply to me? Are you, are you saying that I can't be an executive at a company? Um, I, don't, I don't believe Scripture dictates outside of the church and outside of the family where you can serve or what position uh, even in leadership that you can hold. I don't think there's anything Scripture says that, that you can't be the CEO of Apple. You know, there, I don't think there's anything Scripture says that you can't do that. Uh, but, but, uh, here's the key, ladies. You should not do anything, lead in any, whether it's church, outside the church, or anything that forces you to compromise your femininity. Here's, here's what I mean by that. You don't have, I don't believe you have to lead like a man. You can lead like a woman, whatever your context is. Does, you know, this is funny. That means, ladies, like you don't, you shouldn't need to roar, okay? Like you shouldn't need to flex your muscles. Like, like ladies, um, I'm not saying you can't be strong, but women, you should be able to lead. And, 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 and then the other aspect of that is if your job shouldn't put you in a position where you have to neglect the other things that God's called you to do as a part of your femininity. So if your job, your career, yeah, you're making money, but you're not doing anything as far as what God, as far as helping your husband and what God has called in that relationship to do, I don't think it's right. There's scriptural grounds, that's, that's not right. So, again, we come back to Sarah's situation. God has uniquely gifted her and qualified her and called her to a task that fits in with what God has helped. Now, here's what's happening, though. Is now we have Chap, and her needs inside of the home is changing. And as we have our second child, that need will change. And we, if we kept where she's at for the next four or five years, and we've got three, four kids, you know, Lord willing, then her need in the home is, is going to increase. And if we keep her out here, then I believe she's not fulfilling what God's called her to do. And um, so we're delicately trying to work through that. What does that look like? How, how to, and there's not a clear-cut thing. Uh, it's going to look different in different situations. But the fact is, is, uh, how does this apply in general? Um, scripture doesn't prohibit, like, I don't think it prohibits you from, from leading. Uh, to being a manager at your workplace doesn't prohibit you. Uh, but you should lead like a, a woman. Um, you know, God has wired you ladies to understand and to help other people. Um, like, 
Have you ever thought about this, uh, ladies? Your potential insight into the needs and goals and character of other people. Have you ever, like, I see that. I see that in women. Like, they have the potential to see needs around that us guys are totally oblivious to. You know what I'm saying? Can I get an amen on that? Like, men, totally oblivious to needs around them? Yes. (laughs) We're going, huh? You know? And the lady's going, look, over here, you know. Uh, you know, Sarah's awesome, both in the house and in the church with me. Look, dude, you're blind, you know. No, I'm not, you know. Uh, I saw that, yes. I just hadn't gotten to it yet, you know. That's the, that's the correct response. Uh, no, it's, it's sorry, I didn't see it. Thank God that you saw it so that we can work on it. Uh, you have a special ability, ladies, to help others in their work and compliment them. You've seen that? This is starting to, I want you to see this picture. Um, I believe you'll find these gifts to help others satisfy and rewarding. Um, again, this term, we're talking about being this um, influential helper. We're talking about someone who's responsive, who's a helper, who's influential, who's a completer, who completes the picture. The second aspect, women were created to be life givers. Life givers. Now, you say, well, what if God's called me to be single all of my life? You can still be a life giver, okay? So let's, let's talk about this. Women are called to be nurturers. This is an aspect. This is what God has designed you to be. And life-giving, in essence, is helping others to grow. Helping others to grow. I think we see this in the curse. Um, Again, just like with Adam, there's much to learn in God's judgment in the curse. So God cursed what was fundamental to the man. He cursed the ground. And then God cursed what was fundamental to the woman, her relationship to her husband, and childbearing. What is so awesome, though, in Genesis 3 is we see that God breathes hope. We, we see what, what is sometimes referred to as the first gospel, where he says that through the seed, I will raise up a deliverer. And what's he talking about there? He's talking about Christ. That through the seed of the woman will come a deliverer. Uh, and it's also because Adam, you know, Adam names her woman to begin with. It's a generic term for female, for lady. And then later he names her Eve because she would become the mother of all living. And so what you see in the garden, ladies, is in the midst of all this darkness and the sin that just entered into the world, you see this kind of this ray of light that shines onto Eve. And she will be the mother of the living, of all living. And, and the seed will come eventually that will destroy the evil one. Um, but life-giving and nurturing is a call giving to all women. And I mean, ladies, just think about how you're wired, okay? One woman said, for a moment, stop thinking about the appearance of your body and focus on its capacity to give life. As a woman, you're marvelously designed to give life through conception, pregnancy, childbirth, your body by itself and uh, can supply food for a baby for a month and even years through breast milk. 
Everything about your skin, your eyes, your voice, and countless other details of your creation equip you to be a sensitive and tender nurturer of life. The the feminine human spirit is designed by God to help nurture, heal, comfort, encourage, and love other people. Um, I mean, you see even... You see in Scripture that ladies offer things that no one else can bring. You, you have a great capacity, ladies, to comfort those around you. Do you see that? Do you take advantage of that? Um, your nurturing sensitivity, I believe, bring comfort and warmth to relationships. I mean, think about how barren and dry the church would be, the home would be, without ladies. I know some of your men are going, well, dude, that'd be like awesome, you know, be like all guy stuff, you know, have my man cave, look, <laughs> all right, give man cave, yeah, just look, it would be so dry and so, um, so cold, all right, like we would say goofy jokes all the time and laugh about retarded things, all right, but women, Bring in maturity, right? <laughs> Which is not, yeah, it shouldn't be that way, but, uh, you know. Uh, you know, ladies bring in a warmth. And this is the way God's created you to be. To be a life giver. That's what we see Eve is created to be this nurturer. To, to bring life into this world. Through her, the seed, and then would it eventually uh, destroy Satan. But God has created you, ladies, to be um, this warmth. And to be this nurturer, this life giver. Um, I mean, basically in Genesis 3, you see God sets this plan of salvation in motion, and, and he assigned a role to both men and women. Um, it's interesting, if you look through Scripture, um, you know, to have a brief survey, you know, men, you know, we're, we're called to be warriors, right? We talked about this last week. We're called to battle. Another word for that is to be warriors. Uh, but every, every man who's called to battle to be a warrior was first nurtured by his mother. And what's interesting, if you take a, a, a survey of every major movement in Scripture, you will see, and, and this, was, this kind of blew my mind as I was studying, that it begins with a woman. Like every major movement in Scripture begins with a woman. Um, you see the story of Eve and the seed that will come from her. The story of Sarah and Rebecca. Then you get to Exodus and the story of Moses. And how does that begin? Does it start with this big guy named Moses who God gives a covenant to? No. It starts with the baby floating in a basket and five women discover him. And one who is not a mother gives life to Moses. It begins with a woman. You get to First and Second Samuel of David's dynasty begins with Hannah and her infertility. Then you get to Matthew and Luke, begins with Mary and Elizabeth. Then you even get to the epistles. You see in First Timothy, uh, or in Timothy chapter 1 verse 5, what does Paul say to Timothy? It says, it began with what? Your mother and your grandmother. 
So this great man of God who Paul is leading, his name's Timothy, it began with his mother. And men need their life givers. I think some of the problem in today's culture, in the church, outside the cult, and outside the church, a lot of it is, yes, where are the men? They're not teaching their boys to be men. But sometimes, often, it's where are their mothers? Are they giving them life? Are they encouraging them? Are they moving them? Are they nurturing them? Or, and see, and guys, this is where it's, it's such a dangerous situation because then if the guy's absent, then mom's got to fulfill both roles. And, and mom has to work to provide food. And so something ends up giving. And I'm not saying that we, we can't even begin to pretend to work through all that today. But the fact is, is God has called ladies and gifted you to be nurturers, to be life givers. And again, this doesn't require giving birth. Um, this doesn't, ladies, this doesn't mean you have to become a mama in order to be a life giver. I mean, this is particularly important here. We have lots of young mothers or young ladies who have yet to bear children. Listen to me. You can give life to those who are around you in a way that us men cannot give life. And this is your opportunity. Um, this is how God has wired you. Cultivate it and grow it. The third aspect. Women were created to be full of wisdom. Women were created to be full of wisdom. We're going to take a look at two separate uh, Proverbs passages. One is the woman of wisdom. The other one is the woman of folly. And so Proverbs chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to go there. Chapter 9, we're starting verse 1. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 1. It says, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn, hewn, uh, basically means to like to chisel, to work, to create it. Uh, She has hewn, hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Obviously, wisdom is not a person, but wisdom is a skill. Uh, it's interesting, we didn't talk about this last week, but wisdom comes from the Hebrew word hokma, uh, which literally means skillful living. Skillful living. This is wisdom, skillful living. No wonder, and I know in our Bible study on Tuesday night, we talked about live, this wisdom comes from experience, from through trials. That's what we see in James. And, and so skillful living, how do you, how do you acquire better skills? By practicing them, right? By studying it, by, by, by living through it. These are skillful living. This is, this is what we're talking about here. Then, so a woman, this is a call to skillful living. It's interesting, this text. Basically what we have is a woman who's calling out to those who are simple in their ways. Uh, to those who are foolish. And she is saying, dine with me. Learn wisdom. 
Put behind you simple practices. Well, we live in a culture of simple practices. And, you know, the critics of, of femininity, of biblical femininity, they basically they charge the, that the femininity that is expressed in the church is silly, naive, childlike, resulting in women just being depressed. And I think oftentimes they're right. Um, it's way too often expressed, like I said earlier, is very formulaic. What does a woman... What does it mean to be a woman? It means to do dishes. And women are part of the prayer group. And, and, uh, but they realize, though, I think one of the aspects of their being uh, you know, critical of it is they see that there's something missing in that. And being a woman is not simply do these tasks. There's wisdom. And wisdom is about growing in discernment and skill. Uh. Being a woman is not formulaic. Just like life itself is not formulaic. There's, there's no checkbox list for us. It takes wisdom to, design to, God's, uh, to respond to God's design to be powerful women of influence, to be life givers in all the areas of life that you might be a part of. Everyone, we, we want a checklist. And ladies, I want to encourage you, there, there is no checklist requires prayer, discernment, wisdom. Um, I wish there was a checklist. It might be easier, but we would miss out on so much dependence on the Holy Spirit and prayer and working through this. So, in Scripture, the woman of wisdom then is contrasted to the woman of folly. In Proverbs nine thirteen, if you want to turn over a little bit to, to uh, or, sorry, not turn over, just got to look down the page uh, to verse 13. Uh, it says, the woman, fo- the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest place of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on. Uh, she calls to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. They're... And the picture of foolishness is this, ladies, is undisciplined, loud, using her femininity not to enhance the glory of others and herself. She uses it to degrade herself and the men around her, and she has perverted her design. There's a big difference between the lady of wisdom and the lady of folly. The lady of wisdom cultivates a culture in her home that is honoring to God, that makes others feel welcome, that's sensitive, that brings comfort to others, that's hospitable, warm. The lady of folly's home has hatred of God, selfishness, self-promotion, harshness. And Proverbs 14.1 says that the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands Tears it down. And these ladies, these are strong words. Those are strong words. And of course, there's much application for us guys as well. But with her own hands, she tears it down. And, and ladies, you know, we're talking about your role in helping the man, and, and particularly those who are married, you know, and, and helping with the home. And leading even some respects in the home. Like, 
I want you to understand how valuable of a task that is. I mean, the home is the very basic institution, right? And if the home is a mess, our churches are a mess. And if our homes are a mess, culture is a mess. But when homes are God-loving, centered, seeking God, those homes, then the church will be God-loving, God-seeking, God-fearing, and the same thing with cultures. But you see, and you see that in our culture, that we have homes that are a mess. Even in churches, homes that are a wreck. And what happens is the church then reflects the same thing, and so does culture as well. Um, Men, I hate to say this, but like, ladies, the home revolves around you, okay? Like, you ever heard the phrase, you know, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Anybody, anybody agree with that? I agree with that. I do dishes all the time. I say, keep mama happy, okay? I'm, I'm slightly joking. But, like, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And, uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, just kind of reminiscing of that. Um, a home revolves around the woman. Uh, doesn't mean women don't work or women do not work. It does not mean that. It just means your primary responsibility is, is a home. Um, and so if you look at the home of a foolish woman in Proverbs, um, you can write down these verses. They're going to be up on the screen. But Proverbs 21.9 says, It's better to live in the corner of the housetop, some translations to say in the corner of the attic, than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Proverbs 21.19 says, It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. 27.15 says, A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. Let me stop for just a moment on that. Last, last week, when I said, Ladies, encourage your husbands to lead, I don't want you to hear, like, this is, for, for a lot of you ladies, this is what you're going to hear is, okay, I'm going to nag him to lead, okay? And don't hear me say that, all right? Encouraging to lead looks much, much different than nagging. And if you need to know what that looks like, um, talk to my wife. <laughs> Don't talk to me. She doesn't nag me. So whatever she's doing, it works very well. And she encourages me. And that looks much, much different. Uh, ladies nagging will be incredibly counterproductive. It's, and, it's not, and it's just not godly either, okay? Um, I mean, this is what we're talking about in Proverbs. So a continual dripping on a rain and a quarrelsome wife. Some scripture, or some translations actually uh, translate it there as a nagging wife are alike with a constant drip, drip, drip. If you've been in my bathroom and you go to the restroom in my main bathroom, there's a constant drip and you can hear the drip the whole time. It's like sets rhythm to your bodily functions, you know, like drip, 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 you know. And that gets annoying sometimes, right? Especially if you're trying to read. Uh, you just hear the drip, drip, drip. All right? It's a nagging. Okay, I, I had to get a restroom joke in here today. Okay, moving on. So a foolish woman is loud, is ignorant, and doesn't know it. Do you hear me, ladies? A foolish woman is loud, ignorant, and doesn't know it. She lacks discretion. Um. So this doesn't mean, men, that we get to go enlighten them, all right? That's not what that means. But this is particularly an opportunity for ladies to, to hold each other accountable, 
You see this. Uh, Proverbs eleven twenty two says, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Ladies, that is an indictment. Uh, that, those are strong words. Um, a beautiful woman without discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. I don't need to explain. I think there's a, enough there. Proverbs 12, 4. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like the rottenness in his bones. Some translations say the cancer in his bones. A woman can make life so miserable for her husband that he would rather live in a tent in the desert or in the corner of an attic. Women, there's something powerful that only you can do. And here's the deal. Like, you can do this both in your marriage and to the men that are around you as well. This is not just a marriage application. There's implications for you ladies in the church and the men that are around you in the church for relatives who are men, for men that you work with. And so... We, you can either, ladies, you can either strengthen them or degrade them. Um, you know, a friend of mine told me, he had a professor in seminary, and he was talking specifically about ministry uh, and pastors. Um, but I think the application is beyond the whole clergy thing. I think the application of what he said fits even you men who are not called to, to be, you know, quote, vocational pastors. I mean, you're all called to, 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 to learn God's word, to serve in your capacity. But what he said was, he said, a lady, a, a, a pastor's wife, and again, the implication I think is for all of us, said, he said that she will either double his ministry or destroy his ministry. And I think that's, it's so true. And so, ladies, you can either double the work that God has prepared your husband for, that he has called your husband to do, whether that's whatever that is, okay? Whatever that is, you can either double it or you can destroy it. And God's given you that power, right? He's called you to a great task. So we are equal before God, but we're different. This is what we've been talking about the past couple weeks. And it affects us negatively when we fail to embrace it, when men are not leading as God's called them to lead, and women are not helping as God has called them to help. When the roles get reversed, things begin to get messed up. And, um, and, and guys, in the church, when disobedience happens in one area of the church, it affects the whole body. But you can imagine when we're all, you know, we all talk all the time about being, being unified and being centered on the cross and, and things are going to, you know, are going to click and it's going to be awesome. Well, it's the same thing here. When our families, when our roles, when ladies are doing what ladies are called to do and men are doing what men are called to do, and that's reflected in the church, God's chosen means to display his glory to the world. See what that looks like. Imagine what that where that could take us, what that can do, the impact that that has. Um, you know, both masculinity and femininity have been created by God and then are shattered by sin. Um, and I think in the process, guys, 
ladies, that Satan has planted lies in your hearts. And I just want to address a few of these lies um, I think would be most helpful for us. Um, Some of these lies are embraced in different ways. They're embraced because they've been passed to us generationally. Some of these, to you ladies, generationally, uh, some of them have been, are, are taught in school. Some of it's just cultural pressure. Some of these lies, I think, have been taught in the church. Um, first of all, lies uh, regarding gender. I think there's a lie right now that women need to be liberated from marriage, motherhood, housekeeping, and men. As this is primarily our culture, I hope no church is even remotely coming close to this, but... Uh, you know, this often finds expression when a woman says, I'm just a stay-at-home mother, or I just take care of the house. As if just, right before the word mother should ever happen. <laughs> Lies regarding life, giving, and sexuality. One lie, ladies, is that physical beauty matters more than inner beauty. At its best, outer beauty is temporary and fleeting. You know, when I think of my grandmother, you know, the last thing that comes to my mind is her physical beauty. But but hear me. Like, her inner beauty, I believe, shines so bright you don't even see what's on the outside. Like what you see looks beautiful. And it's because it's just being overshadowed by what's inside and what's coming out. Uh, I'll leave it at that. Inner beauty. It's, um, there's nothing wrong with being beautiful, ladies. But uh, there's a difference though between being beautiful and being preoccupied with your beauty. Like... An inordinate preoccupation with self. Like when we, or when you ladies are so concerned about the way that you look that when you walk into a room, you can't nurture, you can't give yourself to others because you're preoccupied with how you look. That is sinful. You know, you continually size yourself up to other ladies in the room. You can't even receive a compliment because. You're too insecure and preoccupied with self. That's a lie that we have given, that you've given yourselves to, and we have to stop that. Um, Because, ladies, there's a beauty that God has called you to that is unfading, uh, that that is quiet, that is the character within. Um, For those of you who are mothers currently, have a desire to be mothers someday, uh, and, and God blesses you with a daughter, you're going to have to fight against outward beauty being the focus. Because, I mean, even this, like, lady, even with, even with my son, like, I want to dress him in ways that are cool, you know? Like, that's why I put him in, like, his blue Adidas pants. And then I wear the same Adidas pants that I got, like, because I want him to look cool, you know? And so what do you want to do with your little girls? Like, you want to dress them up. You want to make them look pretty. You want to do their hair, like all those kind of things. Like, that's not my thing. I like, you know, Adidas pants. That's cool. And hair everywhere. Bedhead. It's awesome. 
But like, you know what I'm saying? Like you want to, you want to make them look beautiful. So with, God, ladies, with, without even knowing it, you can be instilling into them that outward beauty is such, it is the focus. So am I saying don't ever do your, late? no, 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 no. Do their hair, treat them like princes. I'll do all, do all of that, okay? But make sure you help them see more importantly, that the inner beauty is what God has called them to. Um, it'll be also, ladies, it'll be taught in the way you conduct yourself. If you live preoccupied with your looks, then your daughters will most likely grow up. They will see you model it for them. Um, and then the other thing, too, is, and this is with, when a church is done the way church should be, like those, those young girls should see ladies in the church that are not preoccupied with the way they look. And so they see this not just in mom, but they see this in other women in the church as well. Um, another lie, marriage is the answer. Marriage is the answer to my femininity. If I just get married, everything will be fine. Anything that becomes the answer other than God is a lie. Marriage cannot be the answer. Um, next, my body belongs to me and I have the right to do whatever I want with it. My body is mine. I have the right to do whatever I want with it. It's a lie. Um, God's word tells us that we have been bought with a price and we are not our own. We honor God with your body. We honor God with our bodies. We're not free to do whatever we want. Next, lies regarding emotions. Proverbs twenty one nineteen says, It is better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. Um, first lie, if I feel something, then it must be true. If I feel something, then it must be true. Satan wants you to believe if you feel in love, then you are in love. Uh, I was, one of the guys I was with this past weekend made the comment. Uh, there's nobody that you know, any of you guys know, but he made the comment of marriage is trouble. And I said, no. I mean, it can be hard work. <laughs> Infatuation. Or he said, I'm sorry, he said love is trouble. And I said, no, I don't know if love is. Infatuation is trouble. And we just get the two confused greatly. Um, but if I feel it, then it must be true. That's, that's what Satan wants us to think. And, but there's a problem of letting emotions rule your life, ladies. The problem, and men, uh, but particularly you ladies, this, the problem is emotions are not a good gauge of reality. Emotions are not a good gauge of reality. You will never grow in maturity if you're being, continually being guided by your emotions. Take captive every thought. Make it obedient to make it obedient to Christ. Like we, we should not be controlled by emotions. Emotions are good, or can be good, but we're called to live obedient lives to Christ. And our emotions can often, just as our thinking can, but our emotions can often push us in the wrong way. Um, the next is, I can't control my emotions. I can't control my emotions. Satan uses this, I believe, to make you believe that you really don't have control over how you express yourself. 
Um, this often finds expression in women dumping emotionally. Well, I feel it, so I must need to say it. I feel it, so I must need to say it. And so then what is sacrificed is the idea of growing the ability to speak words that build others up. To have control over your tongue. I mean, that's very clear, the call in Scripture to do that. So our emotions don't control what comes out of our mouth. The Holy Spirit should control the words that come out of our mouth, not our emotions. So I feel it, so I must need to say it. It's a lie. We grow in self-control, and the way we share our emotions should be in control. And then the the next one says, I can't help the way I respond when my hormones are out of whack. Uh, Yes, we're going there, right? Uh, This is fun. You hear a pin drop in the room. Ladies, God created you that way. It wasn't an accident. He didn't go, oh, whoops, didn't mean to do it that way, ladies. Sorry. Uh, God created you that way. God's not caught off guard. And and the reason I say this is because you can go to him. And ask him to help. By his grace, gain control and work through that. As the way God's created you to be is not meant to be used as an excuse for not doing what you're supposed to do, a.k.a. sinning. Well, God created me to be this way. God created me emotional three days out of the month. So that's my excuse to just say whatever comes to my tongue. No. God did not create you with an excuse for your sin. All right. Um, nothing is to be used as an excuse for sin. Um, you know, often we, we, you know, men, we do the same thing. We say, you know, like we hurt our wives by not being gentle. And we say, well, I'm a man and she just needs to get over it. No, men, you need to Repent. You're called to learn to use your words wisely, to speak wisely, use your tongue wisely. And women, the way they do it is complaining, throwing their emotionalism all over the place. Well, and then we say, well, he just needs to be more sensitive. Not necessarily. He probably does need to be more sensitive because men just tend to not be sensitive. But that's not an excuse for you to just do it however you feel like doing it. Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16, ladies. I want you to see it. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderfully, Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My, fr- uh, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Ladies, God has created you the way he has, and he'll give you the strength to do what he's called you to do. He knows your most inward parts. He created them that way. The next lie is lies regarding God. God is just like my earthly father. Uh, 
And this finds expression today in the fact that women, the only example oftentimes that you're given of a man is abuse, avoidance, abandonment. I mean, it's what we see in our culture today. Um, did you know that one out of four women are sexually abused? One out of four. It breaks my heart. One out of four. And it's uh, a tragedy. You know, and, and I can't help but feel some shame in that because of being a man and going, this is my brothers or other men and going, you know, like just just wanting to hurt them, if <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Uh, like it just, it's like, what? Um, it's oftentimes by family members. Um, but I just, I just, I want to take us back because we can get in this law on that. But I want to take us back because in the middle of this sick perversion, God has entered the world. In a a sick, perverted world where men are not stepping up to what God, God is not synonymous, does not look oftentimes anything like, or in any case, look anything like our earthly father. Well, let let me back up. In most cases, our earthly fathers are not even where near a good representative or reflection of God. And so ladies, yes, you know, look to those godly men around you that are trying to model God before you and model an an earthly father, but realize that they're not God. And so don't let the men around you define what God looks like. Let his holy word define what he looks like. And he loves you. And I want to say this too. The problem is not men. The problem is not women. In any of this, the problem is sin. We have rebelled against God. And our problem, first and foremost, is not just that we're not being biblical women and being biblical men. Our problem is that we have rebelled against God. Our problem is first and foremost with God. And He's the one that offers restoration to our womanhood, to our manhood. And you know, even in the midst of that perversion and that sick statement, and even in the midst of all the sin, God still offers us life and restoration. And I have so much hope for our churches, for our families here, not because we're good people, but because God is good. And because God is restoring this image in our people, in our church, in the lives of those in this world. Um, I want you to think about the fact if we were enemies of God and he broke through that mass and rescued you, how much more will he do in your life now that you are a child of his? You want to talk about a father and what that looks like? How much more? You know, my hope Ladies, is that you would embrace femininity, that you will find your identity is not bound up in your work or education or career, but it is, it is bound up in the way God has made you to be. Um, that you would use your beauty to glorify God and you would cultivate relationships with other women. 
If you're married, ladies, I encourage you to love him, respect him, encourage him, believe in him, stand by his side. You know, Sarah is my most intelligent chief advisor. Like when she says, whoa, 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 let's hold off. Like I go, whoa, what am I not seeing? Like what's getting ready to hit me upside the head? I'm, what, like, and I go to her. Like oftentimes, men, I'm just going to be honest with you, and this is just my experience, not necessarily the way yours should or has to be. But oftentimes I trust her discernment and judgment way more than I trust mine. Um. So, men, realize that. And ladies, you can strengthen your husband. If you're given children, either now or in the future, realize that no man can ever be a mother. It's not possible. Um, Only you can be a mother. It's a gift reserved for you. God has wired you to, to bring comfort, sensitivity. Learn how to skillfully apply that to your life. There's no checkbox, right? Learn, study, pray, ask other women. How can I apply this skillfully to my life? Realize the power of your words. Ladies, throughout history, you can just look. Women have shaped the men that have led. Your words have great power. They can instill strength and they can tear down. Um, Reject this image-based culture that we live in. Focus on being who God's called you to be and realize, this is the last thing I want to say, realize, ladies, that you're a prized possession of Jesus. Realize that. Like, soak in that. You are his prized possession. Um, He's created you and given you a task that us men cannot do. We weren't created to do it. We would fail miserably at it. And so you do your parts, and us men, we need to do our parts. What God has created us to do. So let's pray. I want to give us some time. We'll sing one song. And, and just, ladies, again, same thing I said to the men last week. Our, your call is not a call just to make a promise and resolve. Um, your call is... It's to repent and beg for God's grace to change, to do it right. So let's pray, and then we'll sing this, this song, and we'll, we'll dismiss. Father, um, I just want to lift up our ladies this morning. Um, I want to lift them up because I know it's, it's challenging to do what you've called us to do, what you've called our ladies to do. And everything in this culture is pushing them away from the mindsets that they need, from the heart and sensitivity that they need, from the roles that you've called them to fulfill. Father, our workplaces fight against that and the church culture often fights against that. Our preconceived notions and traditions fight against that. And Father, I just ask that in these next few moments that if there's anything 
that anyone needs to repent of, that, that you would so convict their hearts. And Father, that you would extend the grace to fix these portions of the image that you are in the process of restoring. And Father, um, we give you the glory for that. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.